This is Woman Being. Welcome. Hello. I hope that you have your favorite beverage standing by, perhaps an espresso or maybe a cup of tea. Oh, a, a good espresso. espresso. I love, I love it. a good espresso, espresso. latte. Everyone's going to cancel us. <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking about words that are pronounced incorrectly um, before we started. But anyways, I'm joined by the amazing Emma Williams. Hello, hello. And the fantastic... Kelly Carter. Hello. Kelly Ann, some might say. <laughs> Good morning to you both. Um, today we're going to talk about a subject that many of us are familiar with, mm. men and women alike, mm-hmm. which is imposter syndrome. So buckle up and we'll talk about that soon. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. So fun fact, I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, imposter syndrome is actually, when it was developed, was developed to apply to women specifically. Were you either of you aware of that? What does that mean for it to be developed? It makes me like, think of like um, when they would talk about female hysteria. Like that's that's immediately what comes to mind. Sure. Well, by developed, I mean when the um, psychological terminology and um, awareness of the phenomenon mm. was Is it created. Like a diagnosable thing. Well, that's what's interesting about it. Not per se, uh-huh. um, but maybe in a more like loose way. Yes. Um, interesting. It was actually developed by two women. Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. You're going to hear about these ladies throughout this episode. Amazing. Um, And today we're actually going to talk about an uh, article from The New Yorker written by Leslie Jameson. She's a novelist and essayist who teaches at Columbia University. Ooh, shout out to Leslie. Yeah, she. we actually had a listener who submitted this article um, or sent this article to me and was like, you guys should talk about this. And I read the article. It's very long. (laughs) As Um, New Yorker articles are. (laughs) But I actually learned a lot about imposter syndrome along the way. And I would love to share it with you. Get your reactions. Ooh. And because it has it has female feminist roots, Mm. even though most people don't know. So interesting. um, Quick history. We're ready, Professor Warner. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Clance and Imes, um, they connected over feeling like they had somehow fooled their way into college together and oh, wow. together developed this idea of what they called imposter phenomenon. They published the idea for the first time in 1978 mm. in the journal Psychotherapy Research Theory and Practice. Ooh. So it wasn't until the late 1970s that this idea even existed. So it's relatively new in the history of psychology. In 1985, Clance published a book called The Imposter Phenomenon. So before we really get started, have either of you experienced imposter syndrome? I'd love to hear an example of how this shows up in your lives. I guess I would say in areas, yes, I've experienced imposter syndrome. In areas that I people probably think I should experience it as a woman, I feel like I have not. So like in my career, I've not experienced imposter syndrome. I have always felt like I know what I'm talking about. I have the experience to provide the information that you need to make a good educated business decision. And I'm going to just continue to show up, which is weird, right? Like I feel like work is kind of the place that a lot of women tend to feel imposter syndrome. In other areas, way back in the day when I was into the arts, I was a ballerina, I was... Um, an actress. I was a singer. I was doing a lot of auditions. I always felt imposter syndrome in those spaces, which is weird because it tended to be more female dominant. And so I I felt like I had somehow like tricked my way in or like I really shouldn't be there, but I get to like be in the room, which is weird to think about. Yeah. I feel like I've had an imposter syndrome or at least my understanding of imposter syndrome, which is like feeling almost like you've cheated your way into whatever circumstance you're in. I've definitely felt that. I felt that when I was in college and I changed my major into photography, I was like, who am I to say that I could be in 
like this photography program uh, because I hadn't applied to the university as a photography major. Mm. Uh, I felt imposter syndrome basically every time that I've started a job that was in like that was a new position that mm. I had never done before. So like right after college, I was a um, post or a production coordinator and so I was working with these producers in this really big agency and I was constantly feeling like uh who am I to even be here same when I got my first job as a video editor it was always like I feel like I have somehow like bamboozled these people into letting me Mm. work here and letting me do this job and then even like recently I got a promotion and I'm like I feel like like the the imposter syndrome manifests itself in a lot of pressure and in feeling like I need to overperform, mm. like, because I need to prove that I was worthy of this. Uh, so I've definitely felt it in those senses. I'm not sure that I ever associate imposter syndrome with things outside of work. Although I will say that there's an extent of imposter syndrome that I felt around the podcast mm. uh, because as we're, like, trying to grow and trying to build a following, I think I feel some level of, like, embarrassment to say like we're trying to grow like who are we to try to grow like who do we think we are uh or even when people are complimentary towards us or say that like we have valuable things to say I'm like are you sure like are you listening to what we're saying because I don't know (laughs) that you I don't know that you're right (laughs) um but I think that's a lot of like well I think that's a lot of imposter syndrome manifesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's still, in my mind, that's work-related mm-hmm. because it's this is work that mm-hmm. we do. Ooh, I would say I've felt imposter syndrome in some relationships. Like, Ooh, how so? Like, just like, are you sure you want to be my friend? Oh. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And, like, I think that yes, came from – I feel that very strongly. That comes mm-hmm. from me trying to shift – from external validation needs to internal validation. And so I would say that is like, that has changed more recently, but I would say, especially like when I was in ministry school or just gotten out of ministry school, like that feeling of either, like some people are above your level for Mm -hmm. some reason. And I'm like, what level? What exists? Mm. Like the idea of like cool people versus not cool people. Yep. And it's like that's not like real. Yeah. Like that's been the best part about getting older is realizing that's all like yes, self fake. <laughs> what do you mean by external validation and internal validation? Well, what I mean is when I if I were to pose the question, "Are you sure you want to be my friend?" That me- means I'm expecting you to reflect my value back to me. Versus me reflecting my value in myself and having that validation of like, hey, I know I'm worthy of being your friend, whether I'm like, the question really is, am I your cup of tea or not? Mm -hmm. And actually, if I'm not your cup of tea, that actually doesn't change my value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually reminds me of a lot of rhetoric I've been seeing around dating lately where so many women struggle with the idea of like, oh, they were too much mm. in a relationship mm-hmm. and then the relationship ends because they were quote unquote too much. And right. there's been a lot of like reframing that I've seen um, across like social media of people saying like, no, you're not too much. Like they just couldn't handle you. And like this was just not the right fit mm. or they they needed something different. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're too much. Yeah. Like you are – exactly the right amount for you (laughs) and so I feel I feel like my manifestation of the friendship imposter syndrome is a little bit different from yours in that I actually do think that people should want to be my friend like Mm. I think that my outward persona is something that I expect people to want to be my friend (laughs) but if they actually knew me they Mm. would they would not And so Mm. it's the idea like, oh, like, sure, you want to be my friend, but like, you don't really know who I am. So Mm. (laughs) once you got to know me for real, you would definitely stop being my friend. Mm. Like, that's just logical. Um, And so I think I get a little bit of reverse. And also, I don't know that I view people as like the quote unquote cool people very much, at least not anymore. In high school and like middle school, I definitely saw people as like the cool people. But then I came to realize that anyone who was billed as cool was actually a jerk. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't – that's not cool. So I don't care if you think that you're the cool people. Like, you're actually miserable. Mm -hmm. So that that was sort of how it switched for me. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That is super interesting. You guys brought up the cool, not cool 
dynamic, which I hadn't really thought of as a form of imposter syndrome, but I think definitely as an adult, I feel a lot of the time now. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the in the Midwest, I think cool. what defines someone as cool usually is someone who's very nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to me, like being cool or being popular was always someone who was just very charismatic, everyone loved and was very kind and and whatever. And so there there definitely can be cool jerks. But for the most mm-hmm. part, I had like cool people as like great people in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but now as an adult, I was not cool in high school. I'm just in a <laughs> spoiler alert. But um, I wasn't like not not cool, but I was not cool, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I was like in drama and choir and advanced math. So um, she's a smart one. <laughs> but now as an adult, I've noticed... It's been hard for me to, like, get over that not cool Kelly from high school whenever, like, not everyone, when lots of people want to be my friend, Mm. you know? Like, I've found, like, I still assume that people are going to not want me in the in crowd, but then, like, I found it so much easier to make friends as an adult. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when I'm hanging around with people that I perceive as cool, I feel like I don't quite belong. Mm. But that that hadn't even been something that had crossed my mind this morning when I was preparing for this episode. Um, But it's it's very real, I think. Because I automatically assume I'm cool. (laughs) Like, I'm like, of course I'm cool. Uh I'm really fun. Uh But like, more like, do you want to like be cool in my yeah. cool space. Do you space. drive with it? Yeah, mm-hmm. is like our cool compatible. Right. You know? Yeah. That's for interesting. Me, yeah, for me, it's always like if I ever feel like I'm in the in crowd, I'm like, are they going to find me out? Oh. <laughs> but I don't know what they would discover. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what is it that they're looking for? And again, that's very nuanced. I think as an adult, I've gained a lot more confidence and I feel a lot more comfortable like being, quote, cool. Mm. But um, <laughs> anyways, I hadn't even thought of that, which is kind of funny. But that's just my little insecurity there. Um, but... I would say in the workplace, Emma, you mentioned this, and I think this kind of was brought up in the article that a lot of times where imposter syndrome will show up is in kind of transitionary periods in terms of like starting a new job, moving to a new place, being surrounded by new people. So all of the things you mentioned are very, very relatable. I have to be honest. Well, we'll get into that later. I actually want to read a little excerpt about the original theory behind what causes imposter syndrome, Mm because I think it's fascinating. And I want to know which category you guys put yourself in. They said, um, this is um, Clance and Imes, (laughs) that um, for clients experiencing imposter syndrome, the work often focused on early family dynamics. So Clance and Imes' original paper identified two distinct family patterns that gave rise to imposter feelings. Either Women had siblings who had been identified as the smart one, or else they themselves had been identified as superior in every way, intellect, personality, appearance, and talent. The pair theorized that women in the first group, which is they had a sibling who was super smart, are driven to find the validation they didn't get at home, but end up doubting whatever validation later comes their way. And those in the second group encounter a disconnect between their parents' unrealistic faith in their capacities and the experience of fallibility that life inevitably brings. For both types of imposters, the crisis comes from the disjunction between the messages received from their parents and the messages received from the world. Are my parents right that I'm inadequate or is the world right that I'm capable? Or conversely, are my parents right that I'm perfect or is the world right that I'm failing? This gap gives rise to conviction that either the parent is wrong or the world is. (laughs) Do either of you identify with either of those groups and which one? Oh, I definitely identify with group two. Meaning like your parents said you were perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like always doted on by my parents. My parents have always spoken highly of me. Like they've always believed in me very much thought that I was capable. Like they, I was actually, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I was talking to someone this morning about some people who, um, who are motivated by things like, uh, like the environmental crisis. Uh, I feel so motivated by that because I learn about what's happening and I think that I actually can make an impact. I have the, like, the self, I don't know if self-worth is the right word, or like I have the the self-talk that says you actually get, you can make an impact on mm-hmm. climate change. Mm-hmm. Whereas this person I was talking to said that they hear about these things and then they often feel very apathetic and sort of hopeless because they're like, how could I possibly do anything? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's 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 a, a shadow of the same sort of thing of the idea that like I have told myself 
and been told by like my parents or other people in my life, like you actually can do these things. Like you actually can, like you're powerful Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm. Like you are capable and like you can like do big things. So when I'm not doing big things, I think that it starts to fall apart. Or if I feel like I'm not quite living up to that, then it starts to crumble. Oh, Mm. Kelly, how about you? I'm I'm struggling with this. I'm uh-huh. not going to lie. Um, cuz in some ways I felt like the areas I received the most validation growing up, for example, the music, the dance, the acting, those were areas I received a lot of validation, but yet I had the most imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And at, I would say at home, I was the queen of the household. My family jokingly called me Queen Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um And I felt very capable. So I'm like, I guess group two, but also I guess kind of group one. But for the most part, I've always felt very like, I got this. Mm -hmm. And what I don't know, I will learn. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I will say- both those scenarios you described are group two scenarios. You think so? Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. You basically just said- in the arts, you were told, like, got I mean, received from, a lot of praise. Like, everyone else. Like, because the question is, are my parents wrong or is the world wrong? Sure. Like, I received some things that, like, my parents were wrong, but also the world was wrong in mm. some things. So your parents didn't validate your arts? They they did. I'm just saying, like, I received a ton of, like, validation from, like, teachers, mentors, c- fellow students. And that was the area that I was like, I don't think you're right. Well, I think, yeah, that sounds 100% group too. Because instead Mm. of trying to prove yourself to parents and the world, you're trying to determine whether the validation you receive from parents in the world is actually true. Mm. Whereas in group one, you fight to prove Mm. that you're worthy. Yeah, Mm. in my mind, it's not – parents is a bit more of a broad term here in terms of the people that raised you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like the – because I'm thinking too about like – pastors or mentors or teachers mm-hmm. who all like mm-hmm. also spoke into my life right mm-hmm. and, right. but yeah. i don't know if i'm just like taking a lot of you know a lot of license with what they said yeah. in the article but yeah which is interesting also thinking about all that in like the context of deconstruction because i had a lot of mentors that would praise me and things but now as an adult is like the crisis of like actually i do think mm-hmm. you were wrong well and as a child you've talked about how like you were kind of revered and respected in many ways for your spiritual, like, capacity or giftings, um, which now you have, like, kind of... Disowned in a Disowned, yeah. Yeah. And so that has to be, like, quite the... But that feels very much like a group two... Yeah. You're like, oh, you 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 were wrong about that. Right. Thing. Yeah. Well, and it's also, like, my, my primary parent, which was my mom, she was so, like, praised. Like, she was like, you're amazing. You're going to do anything that you want. You're going to change the world. Versus my dad, who is fairly absent, would would put like a damper on that. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a weird like Mm -hmm. mixture of both. Mm -hmm. Like I see what you mean. And so I don't know, but I've always felt the need, the desire to prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. like, watch me. I'll kick you in the face. And I'm going to be like, I will impress myself. And impress you in the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm very much group one in this mm-hmm. I think. Um, whereas I'm second born. My older brother um, was always very smart. Mm-hmm. And, like, he was always ahead of me and everything, which he was two years older than me. So, like, that's, I think, just, like, the reality of being younger. And so I felt like I was always trying to catch up to him. I was mm-hmm. always trying to get as much attention from my dad as him. I was always trying to, like, get the as good of grades as him as I was you know I was always trying to like match up to his test scores and his sports ability etc and um it's not that my parents didn't praise me or like didn't love me or think I was excellent but even like I worked so hard to prove that I could like match him and I I exceeded him in a lot of realms in terms of like academics like he was just like he would study or he would pretty much not study for any test and just like get an A I worked, I I would study all night and get an A, you know, Mm. and um, like by the end of high school, 
my grades were better than his, but like I had kind of in my mind the fear that it was just because I worked hard for them and not because I was actually smart. But like I just never had that inherent trust and confidence in myself that I was enough. Mm-hmm. So whereas he kind of did. But I thought that was kind of fascinating. That was sort of where the original theory came from. Something that you don't even realize the root of. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'd never heard that this was an actual psychological theory. Yes. Right. I thought it was just something people said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't either. This is yeah. what's fascinating. I also didn't know that it centered around women originally and it yeah. didn't even include men in the conversation. Whereas now I think there's lots of men who will talk about having imposter syndrome. But let's see. A funny story in it was a comedian talked about how it's sort of a blanket term. Um She told me about a story. I'm reading this now. She told me a story about standing in front of 500 women and telling them, raise your hand if you have experienced imposter syndrome. Almost every woman raised her hand. When she asked who has never experienced imposter syndrome, only one brave woman did. But at the end of the talk, this outlier came up to apologize, worried that it was somehow arrogant not to have imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of illustrates how like ingrained it is in our culture that like of course everyone feels this way like it's just Mm -hmm. a reality um and it's been 50 years since its formulation let's see i mentioned it's inspired a lot of industry self-help books yada yada anyways i wanted to talk about like men because men are affected by this too Mm -hmm. and then we're gonna like go into the later research on imposter syndrome but like Men, men are affected by this too, right? Like, why Why do you think it's women that where it started? Or Well, I think of, like, the 70s. Like, that was a really interesting time in women's history because we're starting to show up in spaces that we previously were never allowed to show up in. For example, being able to run the Boston Marathon, le- even though women ran it a lot illegally or being able to open a line of credit without a signature of a man like there are lots of things that were happening at that time that were shifting women's access and ability and the way they're allowed literally allowed to show up in the world and so I would imagine that's a huge shift and that a lot of women would feel we're still experiencing that today like women are still catching up to what they're legally allowed to do in the world so yeah, you're going to be like confused and like, oh, do I really belong here? Because for centuries we've been told that we don't. Mm -hmm. And that thing has a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Like you're still like, as a woman, I feel like I'm still working through the experiences that my grandma had or my, my mom had that were passed on somehow to me in the way that they talked to me and raised me and like told me I was capable and I could do anything, but also like make sure you're like kind of quiet. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think we still see those things in society. Mm. Yeah, I think women as a sex have like generational ancestral imposter syndrome type one. Mm. Like it's basically that that women have been told for so long that they that they are excluded from the table. Mm. So it makes sense for there to be this like lasting sort of like echo mm-hmm. of that being left out even when the opportunities are opening up. So I think that honestly men probably have more of a more of a tendency towards a generational ancestral type 2 imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that men are way less likely to have both their parentage and the world tell them they can't Mm -hmm. uh instead they're being told they can buy both Mm -hmm. therefore experiencing little to no imposter yeah well and the fear of just having to prove that that's you know like the fear of being like okay i better make sure that i live up to this basically Mm -hmm. as opposed to the fear of whether i really belong yeah i think it's interesting too though because i think like I've observed in my husband a lot of imposter syndrome, even though, for example, like what he does in his field, he is rather experienced at this point. And sometimes he'll just be like, oh, well, I couldn't I couldn't go get a job doing this somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is so unbelievably untrue. But he's also like he grew up like in a single parent household, he's half black. So he's of, he like has some color in him. And so I'm wondering if like that has a play too societally, like what does this look like in communities of color Mm -hmm. or really impoverished areas Mm -hmm. versus we all know like confident white men that, Mm -hmm. you know, get Mm -hmm. to do like Mm -hmm. what they, 
Yeah. What? Well, what you just brought up is where the article gets really interesting. But Ooh. first, I'm going to say I did ask my husband about it this morning because in my mind, my husband does not have any imposter syndrome. He is like one of the most confident people I know. Like he's kind of convinced that anything he could just like pick up and be like moderately above average. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he just kind of assumes that he's like got it. Yeah. But he was saying that he feels imposter syndrome in the sense that working in computer science, he know like he and many people in his field know that they like offer a very valuable valuable skill, but don't necessarily have to work as hard mm-hmm. as like other other groups. I Interesting. Guess. And so, like the fear of being found out in that, oh, in that like kind of I see because computer science can be it's not always, but it can be a very cush place to work. And so, I think the fear of imposter syndrome comes with like, are you? working hard offering enough etc but i don't think that ever would have anything to do with like him considering his capability or whether he belongs somewhere whether he fooled someone Mm -hmm. be more like he's worrying about if he's actively fooling (laughs) right anyway so this is where the article gets interesting Mm -hmm. because you think it's going one way and you're like i kind of relate to that and then it goes another way so buckle up um so the author is talking about her personal story at this point in time. And she says, I'd finished this brief summary of my imposter syndrome trying on the term, which wasn't one I could remember using before. And my dinner companion, another white female academic replied curtly, that's such a white lady thing to say. In the wake of her comment, the table quieted a bit as people sensed the way a constellation of strangers often can, the presence of some minor friction. (laughs) My seatmate and I turned to the only woman of color at the table, a black professor, so that she could presumably tell us what to think about the whiteness of imposter syndrome, though perhaps there were other things she wanted to do, like finish eating dinner. More than she wanted to mediate, sorry, mediate a spat between two white ladies about whether we were saying white lady things or not. (laughs) She graciously explained that she didn't particularly identify with the experience. She hadn't often felt like an imposter because she had more frequently found herself in situations where her competence or intelligence had been underestimated than in ones where it was taken for granted. In the years since then, I've heard many women of color, friends, colleagues, students, and the people I've interviewed on the subject articulate some version of this sentiment. Lisa Factora Boucher, a Filipina-American author and activist, told me, whenever I hear white friends talk about imposter syndrome, I'd wonder, how can you think you're an imposter when every mold was made for you? When you see mirror reflections of yourself everywhere and versions of what your success might look like. Mm. And so this is where, like... The idea of imposter syndrome starts to flip. Like, is it actually a mental thing or is it a situational thing? Mm. Which, great. Mm -hmm. Um, There is um, an African-American faculty, oh, sorry, physician who talks about being in med school and they informed her she needed to, like, have um, someone to shadow. Like, she needs to find, like, a a mentor basically. And she went home when she found out the news feeling very dispirited and a classmate was like, don't worry, you just have imposter syndrome. You'll find someone. And then for this woman Landry, this was the first of many instances of what she calls the misdiagnosis of imposter syndrome. Landry understands now that what her classmates characterized as a crisis of self-doubt was simply an observation of an external truth, the concrete impact of connections and privilege. Mm. Eventually, Landry looked up Clance and Imes' 1978 paper. She didn't identify with what people described in it. They interviewed a set of primarily white women lacking confidence despite being surrounded by an educational system and workforce that seemed to recognize their excellence. As a black woman, I was unable to find myself in that paper. And so since then, she's had countless conversations with students who feel like they're struggling with imposter syndrome, and she usually senses a palpable relief when she suggests that they are feeling like this, not because there's something wrong with them, but because they are enveloped in a system that fails to support them. Mm-hmm. Ironically, her students' relief at being liberated from the label of imposter syndrome reminds me of the relief that Clance and Imes witnessed when they first offered the concept to their clients. In both cases, women were being told, you're not an imposter, you're enough. In one case, an experience was being diagnosed. In the other, the diagnosis was removed. Mm. How interesting. Discuss. (laughs) Yeah, so they're basically saying like, sure, you – imposter syndrome is the idea that you believe you're not enough when everyone around you is telling you you're enough. But really, like what if you are questioning what you're actually seeing play out in reality? That makes so much more sense to me. Mm -hmm. Because then like – 
It's like, yeah, like what I described earlier, like in the 1970s, no wonder why women were questioning if they were enough, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or no wonder why people of color mm-hmm. question if they're, or maybe that's what they're saying. They didn't identify as the, with the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because it's like, well, yeah, I can see racism right here. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. in front of me, mm-hmm. like, or I can see misogyny right here. Yeah. In they front question of me. whether their potential will be recognized mm-hmm. rather than if they or have fooled people into it, basically. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like this is such, in my mind, this is an example of like communal thinking versus um, like individualistic thinking. Mm -hmm. So I think that white Western culture has largely adopted individual thinking Mm -hmm. and individualized mindsets that basically make us the center of the universe, Mm -hmm. whereas so many people of color, despite being displaced, despite having their culture ripped away from them, have still hung on to a lot of communal thinking in terms of thinking of their race, their family unit, their culture as this as this interconnected thing Mm -hmm. so i think that for white women to see themselves as being imposters makes sense because they are thinking from their individual perspective and they're thinking um we like i there must be something going on with me Mm -hmm. for me to be feeling this way Mm -hmm. there must be something wrong with me because i'm like worried that i'm not qualified whereas people of color are saying no actually i know there's nothing wrong with me but you're all working against me Mm -hmm. like i see the systems of racism and oppression Mm -hmm. and discrimination that have been implemented against my people for millennia and so this is not about me this is about you because you're the one who's 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 in the wrong. Mm. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. This yeah. is like kind of tangential, but I'm wondering if that's why it's so hard for like white people to like perceive systematic racism and oppression mm. because we're so individualistic. It's like why would you assume this whole system yeah. is against a whole people group? I've never had a problem with that. You yeah, know what yeah I mean? exactly. exactly. Yeah, and so I'm wondering if that's part of it. Like, mm-hmm. I think it definitely could be. It actually reminds me of a hater that we've been talking to recently uh-huh. on our Instagram, mm-hmm. someone who has slid into our comments and decided that they have the answers about patriarchy and misogyny for us. Mm-hmm. Um, this person has said repeatedly things to the tune of like, well, like, you can't just say like men are misogynistic or men are patriarchal or whatever. And like they keep bringing it back to individuals Mm -hmm. and like I've been commenting with them a lot and I keep saying, no, patriarchy is a system Mm -hmm. that hurts you and me. Mm -hmm. It is hurting all of us. We are all harmed by patriarchy. And I think we can all agree that it's not good and that we should abolish patriarchy Mm -hmm. yeah and they keep going back to well like i just don't think that like well i'm not a dick i'm not well yeah (laughs) i i i think some things in feminism are okay but i'm like i don't care what you think Mm -hmm. i'm saying we can all get behind Mm -hmm. bashing patriarchy Mm -hmm. but they have so many stigmas and all these other things attached to the word and they're taking it personally yeah that it it doesn't sink in yeah Mm -hmm. like i don't know how many times i can say patriarchy is not men yeah. yeah, patriarchy is the cultural con- like context mm-hmm. we live in. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are ways that I uphold patriarchy. Yes, women mm-hmm. and as men. A woman. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. We are like all people are involved in creating and like um, sustaining this the cultural cultural context of patriarchy that we live in. Yeah. It is not the individual men. Yeah. That are the problem. Yeah. Although they perpetuate the problem in the same way that many women perpetuate the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are many men that help deconstruct the problem as well. So yeah, like totally. it's much, it's not people, it's system. Okay. Yeah. Great point. Um, <laughs> so I want to go into the next group, like team of women named Tool Cheyenne and Burry. Ooh. I'm obsessed with all these women. I know. They're kind of amazing. What I love about all of this research is like this has just been like a whole thing that's been progressing through the years Mm -hmm. by women, which Mm -hmm. is fantastic. So um, let's see. In 2020, almost 50 years after Clance and Imes collaborated on their article, Tulshian and Burry submitted an article pushing back fiercely against the idea of 
imposter syndrome. And they wrote an article or essay called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome, Mm -hmm. published in the Harvard Business Review. They argue that the label implies that women are suffering from a crisis of self-confidence and fails to recognize the real obstacles facing professional women, especially women of color, essentially that it reframes systemic inequality as an individual pathology. As they put it, imposter syndrome directs our view towards fixing women at work instead of fixing the places where women work. Ooh, wow. (laughs) Burry, who was born in Jamaica, didn't feel like an imposter. She felt enraged by the systems that had been built to disenfranchise her. She also didn't experience any yearning to belong, to inhabit certain or to inhabit certain spaces of power. White women want to access power. They want to sit at the table, she told me. Black women say, this table is rotten. This table is hurting everyone. And she resisted the knee-jerk empowerment rhetoric that seemed to encourage a damaging bravado. I didn't want to beef myself up to inflict more harm. Mm. And so that's very fascinating. It's like now we're talking less about like how do women feel and are they accessing power and whatever? And like, can we look at this system that inherently places women at a disadvantage, especially women of color, mm-hmm. and acknowledge that rather than climbing the ladder, our focus should be on creating a more equitable environment. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's fantastic. Yep. I love that. Here's another quote. They were sick of people talking about women having imposter syndrome rather than talking about biases and hiring, promotion, leadership, and compensation. They came to believe that a concept designed to liberate women from their shame to help them confront the delusion of their own insufficiency had become yet another way to keep them disempowered. It's the idea that like you tell someone, oh, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps when yes. maybe they don't even have any bootstraps available to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, Or when you, you know, the fence metaphor of if someone's trying to look over a fence, if they physically are not tall enough to look over the fence, you give them a stool. You don't just say, try harder mm-hmm. to be taller. Yeah. Like you can. Have more confidence in yourself. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not the solution. Wow. I actually think the way that... Um, environmentalism is approached is often very indicative of this issue, right? Mm -hmm. Where um, basically like corporations are pouring mass amounts of um, CO2 into our environment and other toxins into our waterways and our air. And the, the main like rhetoric you hear about environmentalism is recycle. (laughs) Yeah. And, Go vegan and like all these like small individualistic like thrift more, which all are good. Yeah, we all advocate good for, things. We advocate for those here, but um, kind of pushing back the people who are receiving the damages from mm-hmm. the systems that are causing the actual problem. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like mass <laughs> gaslighting, yes. right? So. I don't think that that's what these women that invented this original theory no, meant at all. at all. They were trying to figure out how to validate these people's experience yes. and name it yes. so that it can be addressed. But pulling back that layer of this onion, we're realizing, wait, what is happening is there's this mass gaslighting happening of telling women, you just have imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. just continue to fit in this patriarchal mm-hmm. system or try. But really the point is, no, women aren't allowed in this patriarchal mm-hmm. system. So how like, how would we like get more confidence or rise to the occasion or whatever when it actually doesn't matter? You have no intention of giving me an opportunity, mm-hmm. but- yeah. The question is, how do we create more opportunity for everyone? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think almost as if uh, the first woman who researched this, like they, there's like a series of sheer curtains Mm -hmm. trying to get to the solution Mm -hmm. and they pulled back one of those, but there's still more that that needs to be pulled back. And these other women are coming and pulling some of them back and we're trying to get to the core of it because they're like seeing it, but like through some some obscurity. Um, And then I think about like, like with the environmentalism example, right? I've seen a lot more environmentalists start to talk about the systemic issues rather than the individual issues um, and ways to like solve climate change. But the people who started putting the solutions to climate change onto the individual are the big corporations that have that are the biggest polluters. Yeah. Like mm. BP invented the um, oh, what's it called? Reduce Carbon re- footprint. Oh, okay. Uh, And so like the individualized carbon footprint Mm -hmm. before that was an industry thing Mm -hmm. where a like 
a, a company had to evaluate yep. their carbon footprint. It was never applied to individuals before that, but BP did that to gaslight people into thinking they're the problem and not BP. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I think that there's ways that we could find that people are doing that for women as well. Um, and where people are doing that for people of color mm-hmm. and for women of color who mm-hmm. are often the most marginalized groups mm-hmm. of people, mm-hmm. in, at least in the West. And so it's it's peeling back to realize like, oh, this messaging that we've received is not actually accurate. This messaging is um, is like you guys said, meant to keep us down. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's meant to give us the the illusion of working towards progress because right. if we think that we're progressing mm. then we won't try to get more right it makes me think too of like the whole rhetoric and narrative like in the workplace of you don't talk about how much you get paid like it's not classy right mm-hmm. but really let's get real if people started talking to each other and realizing we are doing the same work we have the same position and this person is getting paid five more dollars an hour And yeah, you should be upset if you have the same experience and you're doing the same work and you're performing at the same level, you should be getting that $5 more an hour as well. Mm -hmm. Like that's what people are nervous. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's, yeah, that's what they're scared of. They don't want to give out more money for the same work. Well, I want to throw another little quote in there because you also mentioned, you brought up something, our good old friend capitalism. Um, This was a quote by, included in the article by Australian scholar and critic Rebecca Harkins Cross, which is that capitalism needs us all to feel like imposters because feeling like an imposter ensures we'll strive for endless progress, work harder, make more money, try to be better than our formal selves and the people around us. Mm. And then we're just fueling the system. Yeah. We're like hamsters on a wheel, Mm -hmm. just like feeding into the people at the top. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. And it actually, it's funny because when I started reading the article, again, it's very long. And like maybe the first half of it, I was kind of like, I guess I feel imposter syndrome sometimes. But like most of the time I feel unrecognized. Mm. And most of the time I feel like I'm offering more value than I'm being like appreciated for. And most mm. of the time I feel like unseen. And mm-hmm. so um, it's interesting to see now like that that is actually hitting the glass ceiling. That's not... Mm like a problem with me yeah (laughs) yeah i do i love the idea that they brought up of um rather than trying to sit at the table like throw the table out because the table is rotten and that's i think that's one of the issues that we have is um i understand that it's hard it is difficult to change systems it's difficult to reform uh but there's no reason why we should think that it's okay to still operate at the same table that has been used to abuse people and power for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And this also makes me think of, this is a little rabbit trail, but go with me. It does tie in. Um, when I was doing like a women's circle, we talked about trauma and how the body processes trauma. And we gave the example of when a bird flies into a window, they fall to the ground and they sit there and they shake for a while. Mm -hmm. And then after a little while, they just get up and they fly away. And like, I got that picture when you said I'm hitting the glass ceiling and people are like confused when it's like you bump into that glass ceiling and you're like, holy shit, what is happening? Your nervous system has an actual reaction. You sit there and you're like, kind of like freaking out and like spinning out or whatever. And then people are like, wait, what's wrong with you? Like, what is your problem? Why are you sitting on the ground shaking? It's like, I literally have to process this craziness and this weirdness that's Mm -hmm. happening. And you're not addressing the fact that I just smacked into a window Mm -hmm. and I need to like process that out. This is not making sense. And I'm trying to make it make sense. And then people seem like, you are the problem. And that's where the gaslighting really comes in so well mm-hmm. is when like, because it's invisible, that's why we're calling it an invisible glass ceiling right. is because it's very hard to detect. Mm-hmm. And so you have many women bumping up against it all the time in the corporate world who don't even realize that's what happened to them. Yeah. Um, and then and, it's like, well, they're crazy. Yeah, and if they even acknowledge that there was some kind of barrier there for them mm-hmm. that isn't there for men or <laughs> or yeah. whatever, like they're they're called crazy. Yeah. They're like, I don't see anything. Oh, no. Here's what they're called. Oh, I just don't think you're management material. I don't I don't think you can handle the pressure or I don't know if you have the leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, no, mm-hmm. no, that is not what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And I think. If we can all at least address, again, the window that this person just like smacked into, 
things will probably get a little better. But that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, I, again, like I think the the temptation, especially for white women, is to break the glass ceiling so that we can climb the ladder and get just as high as the men can get. Mm-hmm. But I really like the idea of maybe the system is broken in the first place. Maybe mm-hmm. this hierarchy that exists wasn't meant for our success and wasn't meant for the success of many people. Totally. People of color, women of color, women, LGBTQ, queer people. Like, like <laughs> maybe there is like something that was built that really benefits like people in power. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is the core issue itself. Right. Yeah. Well, I it's, think that is what it is. Yeah. I don't think it's even a maybe in my mind. <laughs> right. Sure. Well, sure. it's patriarchy, right? Yeah. It, it's it is a masculine right. built system that like we women are like, well, we want to be successful. Uh-huh. So we're trying to force ourselves into this space that's like, actually, we're not. It wasn't built for us. This our wasn't built for us. Mm-hmm. So why are we? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Why are we trying to climb a ladder that wasn't even created to support us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That can't even handle us. Yeah. We're going to be it honest. It really can't. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. It's like, how do we create a space that can handle both masculine mm-hmm. and feminine mm-hmm. and the right. color range and the beautiful yeah. expressions of people that have yeah. gifts to offer. And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow for women who are ambitious. Oh. I'm saying that as a woman who is ambitious. Oh, yeah. It right? hurts. Because, like, it's – I feel like my mind is constantly battling with playing the game, mm-hmm. but also, like, the game is corrupt in the first place. Yeah. And so, like, I don't want to have to be friends with these people that I don't want to be friends with in order to rise the ranks, mm-hmm. in order to get to the next spot. But that's the rules of the game. And so, like, I'm kind of sneaking my way through it. Mm. But maybe that – maybe it's all fucked anyways. Yeah. Well, and, like, that it is inner, all fucked anyways. That inner wrestling of, like, no, I can and will be different. Right. But then realizing I'm equally as corruptible yeah. and as flawed. Right. I am still human. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's how we see women who wind up uh, stepping on other women mm-hmm. and women who wind up disregarding uh, the the sort of like hand in hand camaraderie that women I think have cultivated really beautifully. Right. Like I think that those are the women that I look at who are in power. Where I'm like, well, how can you? How can you be this? Yeah. Like how can you? How could you essentially like betray us yeah. in this way? Yeah. And it hurts yes. to see women like that. And you like had to scrape your way to this top where you'll still not even be respected in the same way, even though you're in the room, even though you're at the table. Yeah. And how many women did you have to discredit and put down and um like eliminate from your your path to yeah. get there. Yeah. And right. like, was it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. And let's get real. They wouldn't be in that spot without those other women in the first place. Yeah. Like, and yeah. The, and you're right. It, it is like a sense of betrayal. Mm-hmm. And like, when that happens, it's so like, you've betrayed the sisterhood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, yeah. how... Like, how can we trust you? And it's like, we don't have representation. Like, it's like, oh, look, we have a woman. But it's like, what did this woman do to get in that space? So really, we don't have representation mm-hmm. because that's not... That's not a representation of the types n- of leaders we want to be. Yeah, that's yeah. not the 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 common, for lack of a better yeah. word, woman that wants to support each other and wants to uplift everyone, mm-hmm. not just herself. And then it feels like a betrayal as women to critique them. Yeah, because you because like well at least there's someone there. right, but yeah, I, like I'm thinking I'm, I don't know if you're thinking about this, but I'm thinking of the movie Tar. Kate Blanchett definitely give it a watch, um, but like it's so frustrating to watch a movie and like be a part of society's fascination with the corrupted female leader. Mm-hmm. Um, the article actually brings up Anna Delvey, aka Anna Sorokin, who masqueraded oh, as an yeah. heiress in order to infiltrate a wealthy world of New York socialites. And then also, you've probably seen the Hulu series about Elizabeth Holmes, mm-hmm. who built a $9 billion company based on fraudulent claims about her ability to diagnose a variety of diseases yes. from a single drop of blood. Yep. And These so, are fascinating women. So we're kind of fascinated with the idea of how power can corrupt, mm-hmm. specifically yeah. female leaders, mm-hmm. which I think the benefit there is that we're giving women the opportunity to even be represented in a, in a light that explores their humanity, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. But it's also like – it's almost like the, the greatest fear of having – 
a woman step into power. Is. Yeah, it actually, I, I don't know that I have all these thoughts fully fleshed out, but I've been feeling for a while just so conflicted with indulging in like media or uh, just in that idea of the the woman who flew too close to the sun, essentially. Mm. It feels icky to me and almost like it's fetishized Mm -hmm. as this like really tantalizing thing and I think my hunch at the moment is that part of why it feels so gross to me is because it feels like men and people who have been working against women are pointing their finger and saying see I told you they Mm. couldn't do it Mm -hmm. even though we have so many examples of men doing the same thing it's it feels almost like even more explosive when it's a woman. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it it feels like this is the I told you so, and I don't want to engage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super valid and super fair. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's almost like this is like the, I don't know, don't want too much women, or yeah. this is what you'll end up like. And yeah. I, what I really loved our episode with Morgan Dacey so recently, one of my favorite things about what she said is she's like, you want more followers? You want more money? You want more power? That's fine. Want those Do things. It. You know? Yeah. Like she's like, great. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never realized I had never been told that that was okay mm. to want those things. Cause I think so much in our society will be like, be careful, ladies. Like, yeah, you're the power stumbling corrupts. block. You know, you're like you're the... gonna you're gonna mess some stuff up, like mm-hmm. you're gonna really make some big mistakes. But it's mm-hmm. like men step into positions of power like that all the time and, and have no concerns. And fuck up yeah. all the time. And they don't yeah. have, they don't worry about it. Well, and I think that's why it's almost so like, for lack of a better word, inflammatory, is like it's audacious to think that this woman would be in that position in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And watch how she falls. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're all sitting here eating popcorn, like, rah, 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 I love yeah. it. And it's like, oh, why? Mm-hmm. I like that question. Yeah, it feels to me like people get an extra level of gratification out mm-hmm. of it, which is part of what feels unsettling to yeah, me. Yeah, we as a society yes, love right. watching a woman fall from grace. Mm-hmm. Well, because the question, like, I think of, like, the Joker movie or whatever, like, anti-hero movies with mm-hmm. a male lead. Um, the question is not even on the table of whether or not a man can or can't be in a position of power and like do it badly, right? And do it or do it right. Mm-hmm. That's not, th- that question isn't just, it's just not inherently in the air. Mm-hmm. That is a question that is inherently in the air for women. Mm-hmm. And I actually read a really good Instagram post or maybe listened to a TikTok about how the problem with being able to elect a female president is because those questions just inherently hang in the air about her as a person. Mm. And so all of her, like, everything she says and everything she does are scrutinized against those questions on the regular, Mm -hmm. whereas those are never questions that a man has to even address. Right. When a, a presidential candidate comes on the docket who's a man, he never has to provide a reason for why he is not going to be corrupt, why he is not Mm. going to be a poor leader, Mm -hmm. why he is not going to be too emotional, be too emotional X, Y, Z. Whereas when a woman comes onto the stage, she constantly has to answer all of those questions and prove herself in addition Mm -hmm. to just doing all the work that it takes to get elected president. Yeah. It makes me think of in the nineties and two thousands, like it used to be free reign basically for reporters to ask female celebrities about their sex lives. Like, it used to be, like, free game. Oh, yeah. like Some of whatever. those interviews are really hard to watch. They're disgusting. Yeah. And then males, no one gave a shit. So what where the article ends, which I think is really great, is it kind of lands on how, thanks to the contribution of women of color, our society as a whole, or, like, femini- the feminism movement as a whole has stopped being so individualistic and has mm-hmm. started to turn its head more towards the systemic issues in our culture like the problems with the workplace and the Mm -hmm. problems with gender dynamics in marriage and the problems with like expected roles Mm -hmm. rather than it being more like well women can do anything so you just do anything just get out there woman you know Mm -hmm. which I don't know if you guys have seen this in your personal life but I definitely was raised very much to just believe I was it didn't matter what my gender was like like I could do anything the world has changed now I'm going to be just as successful as I want. I experienced a lot of whiplash actually entering into the workplace as an adult, having not been prepared 
to have to like deal with any of those systemic like issues. And then suddenly I'm like hitting them Mm -hmm. and I don't have the words for it. And I've never understood that they exist even. I mean, and I think in conservative evangelical spaces, that's probably very prevalent. But it's like your parents can raise you to believe in yourself as much as you want. But when you're in a church environment and like there's just not a pastor position open for you, Mm -hmm. like you start to realize, oh, wait, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where where can I grow? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I mean, I think for me growing up with a single mom definitely helped me see the ways that women have a disparity. Mm. Uh, But I also saw her work really hard and be like a very successful person um, as a single mom. And I experienced like a church community that empowered me as a woman, but I did have to literally sometimes like debate people who came in to our church as like associate pastors or outsiders that I actually do get to lead here. Mm-hmm. And like, as I led amongst the youth in my church. And so I feel like for me, I, I confronted it a lot earlier on uh, just because of the circumstances of like the kind of world that I was in. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change like the validity of it or right. like the the fact that like, this is still wrong, no yeah. matter how long it's been wrong, right. or no matter like how normal it is, because mm-hmm. it's normal. Mm-hmm. Like it is normal for women to start out with a one arm tied behind their back. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And I definitely would say that I was having those same battles in my like early high school even experiences in church, and like being in leadership and things. But I was just running up against things and fighting against them and didn't know what they were, mm. you know. And so definite, I think definitely the feminine mo- mo- feminist movement acknowledging those things and putting names to them will just create a lot more opportunity for women to be better prepared. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And know how to navigate. Yeah. Which is why I think like the message and like sort of the definition of feminism has morphed over the years from like gaining like equal rights for women to gaining equal opportunity and rights for all people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, whereas, like you said, it did used to be much more individualistic. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're still working to Mm -hmm. like shed off that chrysalis of, of what people think feminism is and what feminism has been. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course there's been harmful feminists. Mm -hmm. Yes. But there's been harmful everyone. Like, mm-hmm. there's not in every category, yeah. there have mm-hmm. been harmful people yeah. and bad actors. Yeah. But that doesn't discredit the movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the question now is like, how do we band together to build equitable systems and destroy inequitable systems yeah. as opposed mm-hmm. to how do I rise to the top so that mm-hmm. I can prove that I'm just as good? Yeah. yeah. That's a big question, hey? <laughs> well, that is that concludes the article. Thank you so much, Leslie Jameson from The New Yorker. Um, Shout out to Leslie. Such a good, like, I feel like we went through a journey, or I hope yeah. that you guys felt like you went oh. through a journey, because I went through a journey reading the article. <laughs> we will definitely link that in mm-hmm. the episode description so you guys can... Uh, read it and or listen to it it has like a audio version as well Ooh. so if you like you want to like add that to your podcast rotation nice. or something you can would love to know woman beings what did you think have you experienced imposter syndrome do you relate to any of these conversations yeah. that we're having um and also thanks again to the listener that recommended this please if you guys ever have any thoughts or guests or topics or tiktoks that we should watch and discuss <laughs> send them our way because honestly totally. I think, like, it just enables us to have better conversations and also, like, just expand our horizons because we're limited. Yeah. I think it's – one thing One thing I do want to say, like, a Mm -hmm. final thought maybe. Yes, please. Is I don't think that this means that women who feel they're experiencing imposter syndrome just aren't. Yes. Mm. I think that they are and that we need to learn how to recognize – imposter syndrome and then the actual roots of it yes. in order to truly empower and liberate women mm-hmm. to work past imposter syndrome and then to be able to work past patriarchy yeah. you know and to work past all of those barriers that have been put in place i hope that people don't hear that oh if you experience imposter syndrome you're wrong about it yeah because you you're experiencing it mm-hmm. and that's valid mm-hmm. um 
But we want to actually find solutions mm-hmm. rather than, like we said, running around in the hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like we said earlier, it's all a part of the layered onion. Yeah. You know, that there, there's it the is. personal experience, there's the systems around you, there's your history, and all of those things that play into mm-hmm. the phenomenon, the imposter phenomenon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Super interesting. And I think, too, for me, I'm going to be thinking a lot about as a woman that aspires to be in business, Mm -hmm. to be successful, to, quote, unquote, rise through the ranks. It's like, how do I want to redefine that Mm -hmm. and make sure I've been thinking about this a lot, this inner check with myself of, like, what woman I want to be and what kind of woman I don't want to be Mm -hmm. and how am I bringing others Mm -hmm. with me, um, I think, is part as well of this Mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah. so yeah, it's really fascinating. I'm, Thanks for bringing the article. No, it's great. I've even been thinking through, throughout this conversation is like, how do I redefine success for myself? Mm-hmm. Because it, maybe rising the corporate ladder is broken in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so maybe I don't want to participate in certain corrupt systems. Mm-hmm. There is a level of you can only do what you can do. And I think every right. woman has to make that determination for herself. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. But like as someone who is ambitious, who does want to like be successful – who does want to influence people? Mm-hmm. How do I make sure that I'm doing that in a way that's equitable and creates opportunity for everyone mm-hmm. and not in a way that, I don't know, stomps on other women or helps yeah. white women but not women of color or – Yeah, or like, shuns like LGBTQ. Yes. Like how do we how do we bring everyone? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, great discussion today, ladies, Um, woman beings. Thank you so much for listening today. If you do not yet, please follow us on Instagram or TikTok and give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Honestly, that is the best way that you can support us right now where we're at. It um, enables other people to get access to our content and get to know us. And so if you love the content that we're putting out and you want other women to hear the same, please Review, like, share, subscribe, and we really appreciate all the women that have continually been talking back and forth with us on different social platforms Mm -hmm. and in our DMs. It's been fantastic. Such a treat. All that being said, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being here today. (gasps) Thank you for being here today. (laughs) And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.